So people of God in Christ, last week we began a sermon series for the second service called The Way We Worship. The idea is to revisit worship, specifically our corporate worship, that is our worship together uh, on the Lord's Day. And that distinction is important because worship is something we do beyond the Lord's Day. Uh, on one hand, and, and maybe you've heard it said before, that all of life is worship. And we made the point last time that to some degree, in, in differing ways, of course, all human beings worship someone or something. If God, God in, in quotes, uh, is defined as whatever one trusts in, whatever a person credits for their existence in this world, well, then all human beings worship something or someone. But for Christians, all of life is worship because we are called to trust in the God of the Bible, the God revealed to us in creation and made known to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We owe our existence to our Creator we owe our salvation to Christ, our God and our Savior. And we acknowledge this throughout the week. We pray as we get up in the morning, thanking Him for another day of life and seeking His, His blessings for the day. That's worship. Uh, at meals, we pray and thank Him for the food He provides us. That's worship. As we struggle, we pray and, and seek His wisdom and, and strength. As we succeed and, and prosper, uh, we thank Him and ask His help in using what He gives us uh, to serve and honor Him. Even more, we, we do these things as families or when we're eating with other Christians. Uh, more yet, we spend much time in God's Word. And all of this is our worship of God in the name of Christ throughout the week. We could go on whenever we face temptation and choose to do what is right. We are worshiping God. Uh, when we find a, a person in need, especially a, a brother or sister in Christ, and help that person, we worship God. As husbands and wives are faithful to each other, as, as children are, are cared for, God is worshiped. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And notice that he makes this appeal by the mercies of God. He is speaking of the mercy shown to us in Christ. He is speaking of the gospel. He is, he is calling us to respond in worship. So here is the beginning of, uh, of Paul's third section in Romans, calling upon his readers to be reasonable. Be reasonable, he says. That's what he means by spiritual worship. It can also be translated your reasonable worship. If you are saved, if, if Jesus died in your place and rose again, if you are going to heaven, when you would have gone to hell in your sin, then live like it. <laughs> Be reasonable. Don't contradict what you believe. Present your whole body 
and every day of your life to the Lord as a living sacrifice. But what then of our corporate worship, our worship of God together? This too is called for by God. Someone might say, well, if, if, if all of life is worship, uh, why do I need to go to church? The most basic answer is because God said so. A second answer is because we need to. God always commands his blessing. And both of these reasons are taught us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, which says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, which is to say, let us help each other. Let us encourage each other in our daily worship. And how so, verse 24, verse 25 adds, by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day, indeed, of Christ's return in glory. But why do we worship God on the first day of each week? Why our practice of meeting together to worship God on the Lord's day? That's the main matter for this time. And, and here's the first point. The reason for first day worship. And this we need and for this we need to go to John 20, even the full chapter. Because here is John's account, as we've now heard, of the resurrection of Christ. And we can hear a clear emphasis given by John to the first day that Jesus our Lord rose again on the first day of the week. Which day? The first day. Do we need to hear it again? The first day. In fact, there are three references in John 20 to the first day of the week. Two of them are explicit. The third is more implicit, but equally clear, clearly referring to the first day. The first reference to the first day is in verse 1. And I think it rather jumps off the page in John's testimony. He writes, now on the first day. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You and I know what that means, don't we? That the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Jesus, our Lord, had risen from the dead. I think that John was likely very eager to get to this point in his gospel uh, in order to write these words, to give his personal account. He was one of those two disciples that came to the tomb so early in the morning on that first, first day when Jesus rose again. And he begins with these words, Now on the first day of the week, Jesus rose again from the dead. The second reference then is in verse 19, where John writes, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. And notice here that John is not only explicit uh, that it was the first day, but he even underlines it or, or, or puts it in bold print, we might say. 
Um, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. He seems to be wanting to make it all the more clear that it was the first day of the week. On the evening of that day, it's, that's already a reference to the first day because the antecedent of that day is the reference in verse 1 to the first day. But John even adds that day, the first day of the week. And then the third reference to the first day comes in verse 26, where John writes, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Here, as I mentioned, uh, the reference is somewhat implicit. And, uh, and here we need to take into account the Jewish way of counting days. It was a cultural thing. That as the Jewish people counted days, they always began counting with the beginning day. So that the first day of the week to the next first day of the week was counted as eight days. For the same reason, we say that Jesus rose again from the dead three days after he was crucified. Have you ever thought of it, that that if we were counting the days between Christ's death and his resurrection, we would say that he rose again two days uh, later. From, From Friday to Saturday is one day. From Saturday to Sunday is the second day for a total of two days. But that's not what Scripture says. Because the days are being counted in the Jewish way. So that as Jesus died on what we call Friday the sixth day of the week. So he arose three days later on the first day of the week. Well, all of this to say that we have here yet another reference to the first day. Now, someone might try to say that, uh, that all John was doing is, uh, or was establishing, was establishing the fulfillment of, of the promise of Jesus to rise again three days after his death. But think of the significance of the disciples being gathered on the first, first day after the resurrection. Again, someone might argue that, well, maybe they gathered every day after the resurrection. And, and that may even have been the case. We, we don't know. But why did Jesus choose the first day again, to appear to his disciples and to make it clear to them that he had indeed risen from the dead. Yet again, someone might want to object that this is uh, making too much of small details. But the case can be made that these are not small details, but rather a clear emphasis, a, a clear teaching by John and from, from John, and, and, and it's even made by Jesus. It's, a, it's an emphasis made by Jesus as he appeared to his disciples again on the next first day of the week. And the early church did not think that these were passing references to the first day. Instead, guess what day of the week the early church gathered to worship God. Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, 
when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. A full day of preaching by the Apostle Paul. So the next time you think the sermon is too long, just remember Acts 20. But it was the first day. And why tell us that it was the first day? Unless it really does matter. Also in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Here we hear this instruction from Paul. On the first day of every week. On the first day of every week, each of us is to put something aside, or each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul was giving instruction to the, to the Corinthian church regarding their offerings, specifically for the financial needs of the church in Jerusalem. So here is, a, here is biblical support for, uh, for Presbyterianism. Uh, the churches were kept aware of each other's, uh, each other's existence and each other's needs, even from Corinth to Jerusalem. And they supported each other. But again, it was on the first day. In fact, on every first day, says Paul, that offerings were to be brought to be given in the gathering of the disciples. Here, I think, is a place to review what is called the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship is the conviction and the practice of worshiping God only as He commands. God carefully regulated His worship in the Old Testament. He he warned His people that they must not approach Him as the pagan nations approached their gods but only as He instructs. And while the temple worship of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ by His once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, yet we know that God Himself has not changed, so that still today we need to ask God how He would have us worship Him. And we must expect to receive instruction by His Word, in how to worship Him. So why is our worship of God here so simple? Because we are only seeking to obey the simple commands of God for our new covenant worship of Him in Christ. And we understand that as Christ died and rose again, ascending to heaven, so the Holy Spirit was poured out. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out, new life was given to sinners to become believers. And the New Testament, the new covenant church, was formed by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of the gospel. And the church began to worship according to that same power. Capital P, power. Therefore, it behooves us it weighs upon us to look to the early church and to expect to receive instruction in our worship 
or instruction for our worship from their worship of God. And this is what we see in the, in the early church, starting already in the, in the day of Christ's resurrection, or on the day of Christ's resurrection, continuing on uh, the first day of the next week, and continuing in the life of the church now for 2,000 years. Christians gather on the first day of each week. Maybe we would be satisfied with just following tradition. I don't, I, I don't need all this theology. Uh, I, I can follow tradition. I can, I can practice custom. But we ought not to simply follow tradition and, uh, and custom. We ought to ask why. It's not wrong to ask why. And as we understand the reason given in God's word for first day worship, we should come here each week in answer, consciously, intentionally, deliberately, in answer to the call of God in Christ, even the summons of God to gather as his people in Christ, to worship him each and every first day of the week. This is a rare two-point sermon, and this is the second point. Second point, then, is the Lord's Day. Why do we call the first day of the week, the day that, that believers in Christ gather to worship God, why do we call it the Lord's Day? The first way to answer is to go to Revelation chapter 1, some of which we heard, uh, the part that we mostly need for this uh, in our call to worship. Uh, In verse 10 of Revelation 1, the apostle writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Here is the beginning of uh, John's written account of the visions that were given to him while he was uh, on the island of Patmos. If you know the story, you know that John was the only apostle whose death is not recorded in history, uh, in the Bible or in, in in, in other historical records. Uh, the last we hear of him was that he was exiled. He was banished to the island of Patmos. He writes, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so he writes next what we have already heard. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, in my notes here uh, and in the sermon outline, which I failed to uh, bring here tonight, uh, the word day uh, is uh, is capitalized, the Lord's day, uh, because that has uh, that 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 expression, that that title has been used uh, for a long time now, indeed, as a title with titles, you you capitalize all the major words. But you might notice in the ESV, if that's what you have, that the word day is not capitalized. So preparing for this sermon, I took a quick look at several other versions of the Bible, and almost always the word day in the Lord's day in uh, in Revelation 1 verse 10 is not capitalized. Only, Only two versions that I found capitalized the word day. So what's the point? 
Only that I think the ESV and most other versions have it right. The Apostle John was not using the words, the Lord's Day, as a title. He was only referring to the Lord's Day. So next, who is the Lord? We often use the word Lord simply to refer to God in a a general sense. But we ought to note that when the apostles used the word Lord, they were almost always referring to Jesus. After all, many of the apostles came from among the twelve who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry in the flesh and, and, uh, and who called him Lord from the very beginning. Peter said uh, early in the Gospel of Luke, he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And, uh, and the only other way that they addressed Jesus was as rabbi, which means teacher. Otherwise, he was always the Lord to them. Another passage where this is important to know is Philippians 3, where the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Because it would seem to me that many would hear this call to rejoice, either as just to be happy, or perhaps only a little better, to rejoice in God. So let's just believe in God, let's love God, let's feel good about God, let's rejoice in God. And so we end up with a church that practices a a spiritual form of happy religion, a a general optimism, a, a believing in the power of positive thinking. Well, okay, there there's a very real need for positive thinking, but we need a reason to be happy and to be positive. And that reason must be Christ. Because when suffering comes, when when illness strikes, when discouragement descends, uh, we need more than happy religion. We need a reason to rejoice. And a reason that will still be there for us, not only in hard times, but even at the point of death. Instead of rejoicing in God, in some general sense, we must learn to rejoice in God. Christ, which is why Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The lesson that Paul teaches in Philippians 3 is to rejoice in Christ and in his righteousness counted to my account as I trust him for my salvation, even trusting him for my resurrection from the grave. Well, in like manner, when John refers to the Lord's Day, he's not referring just to God's Day in any kind of general sense. He's referring to Christ's Day. He is referring to the Day of Christ. He is referring to the Day of Christ's Resurrection. That the church had come to recognize and celebrate each and every week. And why? Because the resurrection of Christ was just that important to them. It was important and and valuable to them because it was their salvation. It was the day in history that meant by the resurrection of Christ that they were guaranteed heaven instead of being bound for hell. The first day was everything to them. 
as it should be for us. And it became even more important as they began to suffer. And I can only imagine that there, that there were some weeks, even some long seasons of suffering in which they could hardly wait for the first day to come around again when they knew that everyone, all of their brothers and sisters in the Lord would be, would, would, would be gathering to hear the story again. All their brothers and sisters in the Lord gathering to have it proclaimed to them again that Jesus, their Lord, had indeed risen again from the dead. They could hardly wait for the Lord's day. I was glad, says the psalmist, when they said to me, let us go to the house of our Lord. And so we, we too can be sure of this, that, that each Lord's Day, still today, as the church gathers, Jesus still shows up. He showed up on that first day, that first first day, the day when Christ arose with victory for his people. He showed up again on the evening of the evening of that first first day. He showed up a week later on the first day. The entire book of Revelation is a record of how Jesus showed up on a first day when John was suffering greatly in exile on the island of Patmos. And Jesus still shows up today. As each Lord's Day, God's word is preached. As the story is told once again. As the proclamation is made once again. The Lord is risen. Indeed. He has risen. The story has long been told. I, I don't remember when I first heard it, and I don't remember where it was, but the story is told of a church that had a pulpit, as most churches do. But on this pulpit, they had mounted a plaque. And the plaque, uh, the plaque said, Sir, referring to the preacher, we would see Jesus. It was the call for the preacher to preach the word of God in such a way as to bring Jesus into the midst of his people, because that's what the church needs each and every Lord's Day. For Jesus to show up by the preaching of God's word and to remind God's people that he is risen. To remind God's people that this is the Lord's day. It is the day of Christ. It is the day of his resurrection. It is the day of salvation for those who are trusting in him. Maybe it raises the question in our minds, should we call the first day of the week Sunday? Well, if we want people in our culture to understand us, we can call it Sunday. But in our heart of hearts, in our minds of faith, let us call it the Lord's Day. And by that title, may we always remember that it's the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, 
the day of his resurrection. A resurrection that is worth celebrating, not yearly, but weekly. Every week. On the first day of the week. Let us remember and celebrate and give thanks to God for our salvation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you that each first day of the week, O God, our Father in heaven, we can gather to remember that your Son, our Savior, rose again from the dead, and in his resurrection is our resurrection, and that uh, in his uh, accomplished work we have salvation. Grant us a a great uh, estimation, appreciation of this first day of the week. And may we delight to gather. May we look forward throughout the week to to the next first day of the week when we can gather with all your people here at Terre Haute Reformed Presbyterian Church to rejoice, to give thanks for our salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.